Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about certain types of names in British and American English, and a meaty middle about combining quotation marks with other punctuation marks, such as periods and commas. But first, I have a quick correction to last week's podcast. I said emphatically and repeatedly that adverbs can't modify linking verbs, but of course, it turns out that there are exceptions. I've written episodes in the past about not using words like always and never because there are almost always exceptions, and I'm kicking myself for essentially using that kind of language last week. The main point still stands. When you're talking about your mood, you say you feel bad, not that you feel badly. But please don't absorb the idea or tell people that adverbs can never modify linking verbs. Most of the time they don't, but occasionally they can. Now, last week, a lot of you seemed to enjoy my small observations about British English, and you wrote in with your own stories, which I plan to share in the future. But lots of you Americans mentioned that you've noticed British English uses plural verbs in cases where you'd use singular verbs, especially with things like team names and band names, and you asked me to talk about it. So we're going to start with that this week. It's true. You aren't imagining the difference. These aren't hard and fast rules, but British English tends to treat team names, band names, and company names as plural, whereas American English tends to treat them as singular. And it often jumps out at me when I see it. For example, I took a screenshot of a headline from the British publication The Guardian a few years ago because I knew I would write about this someday. It read, Amazon aren't destroying publishing. They're reshaping it. That headline is treating the company name Amazon as plural. But in American English, we definitely treat it as singular and write, Amazon isn't destroying publishing. So that's an example of a company name and how it's treated differently in British and American English. Looking at The Guardian today, I found this example of how team or group names are handled differently. There's a group of six footballers, or as we'd call them soccer players, who were featured in a documentary about the team called Manchester United, and they're known as the Class of 92. Today's headline reads, Manchester United's Class of 92 Unveil Plans to Open University. In American English, we'd treat Class of 92 as singular and say the Class of 92 unveils a plan to open a university. For example, imagine a graduating class giving a gift to its school. We'd say something like, the Class of 2017 unveils its lion statue. Or, if we were talking about a group of athletes, we might say something like, the Dream Team is reuniting this year. As I said, it's not a hard and fast rule, but an American would be unlikely to say the Dream Team are reuniting this year. I searched the Corpus of Contemporary American English and got 15 results for the string the Dream Team is, and only one result for the Dream Team are, and that one example was from someone who spoke English as a second language. And finally, here's an example with a band name that felt so weird to me that I had trouble understanding what it meant at first. The headline is about the band Nirvana, and the article is about music history and the rise of grunge and the fall of a genre known as hair metal, which I'd roughly define as 80s metal bands with big hair like Poison, Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses. 
In the headline, The Guardian treats Nirvana as plural, writing, Nirvana kill hair metal. As an American, I'd write, Nirvana kills hair metal. I have a hard time even processing Nirvana kill hair metal. And if you're having trouble immediately determining whether a sentence is using singular or plural, try substituting pronouns. They kill hair metal is plural, and it kills hair metal and he kills hair metal are singular. Of course, Americans often treat names that sound plural like they're plural. So we'd say the Beatles are the greatest band of all time. But in general, we're much more likely to treat names as singular. So that's your quick and dirty tip. Just as with company names and team names, British writers tend to treat band names as plural, whereas American writers tend to treat these names as singular. And now, on to punctuation. A listener who goes by Left On Post left a nice review on Apple Podcasts and asked if I'd do a segment on periods and quotation marks. So here you go. One of the most common questions people ask me is whether periods and commas go inside or outside a closing quotation mark. And there's a reason everyone is confused. The rules in American English are different from the rules in British English. So just like with our quick and dirty tip about names, if you're regularly reading American and British publications, such as the BBC and CNN websites, you'll regularly see it done different ways. In America, we use a hard and fast rule that was supposedly designated by compositors to protect the tiny commas and periods. We always put periods and commas inside quotation marks. In Britain, they use rules that require the writer to determine whether the period or comma belongs with the quotation or are just part of the larger sentence. It appears that early champions of this logical system were H.W. Fowler and F.G. Fowler, who wrote the classic 1906 British usage guide, The King's English. In it, the brothers describe the British logical system of punctuation. They note that they're in conflict with the compositors, people who set type, but they believe their system is better. In short, my U.S.-centric memory trick is to remember that inside the U.S., Periods and commas go inside quotation marks. Here are two examples. Squiggly said, quote, I hate packing for a vacation, period, unquote. Quote, I hate packing for a vacation, comma, unquote, said the yellow snail. I also have to share a funny comment from the website. Michael from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville said, Almost 60 years ago, a linotype operator told me, Commas and periods always go inside the quotation marks because if we wait for the editorial side to quit arguing about it, we'd never get the paper out. (laughs) That made me laugh. And I'll add that this is the rule that I get the most pushback on. It is a hard and fast rule of American English, but every time I post something about it, I get all kinds of comments from Americans who say they think it's a stupid rule, and they don't care what the style books say, and they're going to do it the British way, so there. (laughs) And all I can say is that it's your choice. I can only tell you the rules. If you want to do it some other way, that's completely up to you. When combining exclamation points and question marks with quotation marks, Americans follow the same logical system as the British. Where you place the other marks relative to the quotation mark depends on the context of the quotation. 
If the whole sentence, including the quotation, is a question or an exclamation, then the question mark or exclamation point goes outside the closing quotation mark. But if only the part inside the quotation marks is a question or exclamation, then the question mark or exclamation point goes inside the closing quotation mark. Examples will help. In this sentence, the whole thing is a question, so the question mark goes after the closing quotation mark. Did she ask you whether you enjoyed Aardvark's song, quote, Ode to Ants, unquote, question mark? Ode to Ants is in quotation marks, and the question mark comes at the very end, after the closing quotation mark, again because the whole sentence is a question. However, in this sentence, only the part in quotation marks is a question, so the question mark goes inside the closing quotation mark. I love Aardvark's song, quote, where have all the ants gone? Question mark, unquote. The same rules apply for exclamation points. With semicolons, colons, asterisks, and dashes, we get back to a simple rule. They go outside the closing quotation mark. I love, quote, ode to ants, unquote, semicolon. It's insightful and moving. Quote, ode to ants, unquote, colon, a moving and insightful song. Aardvark's greatest hit is, quote, ode to ants, period, unquote. Asterisk, co-written with Squiggly. I love, quote, ode to ants, unquote, dash. It's insightful and moving. In summary, in American English, periods and commas go inside the closing quotation mark. Semicolons, colons, asterisks, and dashes go outside the closing quotation mark. And question marks and exclamation points require that you analyze the sentence and make a decision based on context. Thank you so much to everyone who left podcast reviews and told me where you listen this week. There's the person who runs ggkiss.com and listens from the country roads of New Hampshire to the city streets of New York. Sylvia listens while cleaning her horse stall in Warner Springs, California. T.K.E. Wolf listens while going for long walks with a stroller in North San Diego County. Dr. Gregoriovich listens at work in Maine. And L.F. Monkey also listens in Maine. Three cheers, or at least two cheers, for Maine this week. Thank you also to German, who listens in his car during his commute or when he has long waits for something. And thanks to Tanya, who left a review but didn't say where she listens. That's fine. I like to hear the stories, but I definitely still appreciate a review, so please keep them coming. Also, I'm super happy to tell you that the updates for the iPad and iPhone versions of Grammar Pop are now approved. Both apps should be working if you update to iOS 11, and if you have any problems, please let me know on the Grammar Pop Facebook page, which is just facebook.com slash grammarpop, or you can tell me on Twitter. The updates were a lot of work, but I'm really happy because I was also able to make the help button more prominent and add a few more sentences to the game. I even live-streamed myself playing Grammar Pop on YouTube and Twitch last week, which was fun. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. Grammar Girl is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips Network, and you can find all my old articles and podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.